Okay, how's everybody doing out there? Cold? It's warmer in here than it was two weeks ago. I'll say that. Thanks to the State Theater for getting the heat on. We're starting in John chapter 19 today. Uh, Really, it's part two of Jesus dealing with Pontius Pilate. There are questions and answers that define a moment. In fact, questions and answers that define a person in a moment. We'll see that today through the lens of Pilate. Uh, We just heard Ariana Grande doing vocal impressions. Pilate's going to hear some voices as well. We're going to pray, and then we'll see how well he handles Jesus and those voices. God, thank you for this time we have together. Uh, Thanks for folks that are here, interested in your word. And I pray that you would open up our hearts to hear what you have to say to us today. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. There was a young man who won a ticket to the Super Bowl a few years ago, uh, by lottery. And uh, so he uh, wasn't sure exactly where the seat was, but he was so excited to get the ticket, so he made his way to the Super Bowl. Uh, When he got there, he got a bit less excited because the ticket he had was for a seat in the last row up in the corner, in one of the corners of the the, uh, arena, the field. So it wasn't a great seat, but it was a free ticket, so he was still pretty happy about halfway through the first quarter, he's looking around on a packed stadium, except he sees down on the field, there was an empty seat right on the, right on the 50-yard line. And uh, so he says, well, I've been watching that seat for a while. Nobody's, nobody's sitting there. Nobody's taking the seat. So he thinks, I'm just going to go check it out. So he walks all the way down to that seat, and in the seat next to that seat is an older gentleman. He says, uh, is anybody sitting here? And the guy says, uh, nope. He says, well, could I, do you think I could sit in this seat? It would be okay. And he says, well, you certainly can. So the guy sits down. He says, man, I, I can't believe anybody would pass up this seat at the Super Bowl. And the older gentleman said, well, that's actually my wife's seat. She and I have been to Super Bowls, every Super Bowl, since the year we got married. But she's uh, passed away. And this is the first year that we haven't been together at a Super Bowl since we got married back in 1967. The young man was sad, really. I'm so sorry. Sorry, I'm thankful for the seat, but I'm really sorry. Man, couldn't you have found a relative or a close friend to come with you to the game? And the older gentleman said, nah, they're all at the funeral. It was a joke. Did anybody get the joke? Somebody got the joke. Oh, gosh. Suddenly, in that one moment, the question and answer defined the man. What looked like generosity at the beginning turned into something far less, right? With priorities all messed up. Someone who honors a game over honoring his wife. Well, we're continuing for the second week to look at another man, Pontius Pilate. He's got a question we want to kind of dig into today. Now, that question is asked at the trial of Jesus. It's recorded in Matthew's account. And the question was this, as Pontius Pilate is looking at Jesus, then he looks at the crowd and he says, what shall I do with Jesus, who is called Christ? Well, that question and Pilate's answer, his actions are going to define him as a person forever. He's now seen as a tragic and pathetic figure. So in week two of assessing how Pilate and people in general 
handle Jesus. Today we're going to look at three specific tactics that Pilate uses in John chapter 19, verses 1 to 16. We begin with verses 1 to 6 with the first way that Pilate tries to handle Jesus, which is passively. Pilate uses three different attempts to pull off this strategy. Here we go, verse 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to to them, the Jews, the Jews wouldn't go inside for they get cooties in there, Gentile cooties. So he stayed outside. Pilate says, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man! When the chief priest and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. Now just to jog your memory a little bit from the last time we were together, I mentioned that there wasn't one trial, really, but six different trials that Jesus faced starting in the dead of darkness. Three of them were at night before the religious crowd, all of them illegal. Jewish law forbid having trials in the evenings, right, at night. So now we're looking at the trials in the Roman civil courts, where the trial number four and number six. I'll kind of explain that as we go through. Number four was before Pontius Pilate. Number five was before Herod Antipas. And trial number six was again as Jesus returns to Pontius Pilate. We started reading through this and coming through all the material of the trial. We discovered Pontius Pilate is kind of pretty passive, pretty noncommittal. He doesn't really want to handle Jesus. He doesn't want to make a decision. He doesn't want to deal with him. He would rather have other people decide for him. So in dealing with Jesus passively, Pontius Pilate has a threefold strategy. Number one, he thinks, okay, okay, here's what I'll do. I'll let the politician decide what should happen with Jesus. See, Pontius Pilate realizes that Jesus is not from Jerusalem, not from Judea, but is from Galilee, up in Galilee. Oh, let me send him to the guy up there who's in charge, the great politician, Herod Antipas, the son of Herod the Great. Let's let him make the decision so I don't have to. Interestingly enough, when Jesus gets there, Herod's all excited. He he wants to meet with Jesus. He's hoping maybe Jesus will do some miracles or tricks or whatever. And Jesus stands before him and says absolutely nothing. Nothing. Not a word. No miracle. Nothing. Nothing. So at some point, Herod starts mocking Jesus for a while, gets him dressed up in fancy garb, and ships him right back to Pontius Pilate. So now Pilate has to deal with him again. So his first attempt to deal with him passively, let the politician decide, uh, backfires on him. So his second attempt to deal with Jesus passively is this. Well, I'll, I'll let the people decide. If the politician won't decide, may, maybe the people will. So he remembers there's a custom that Rome worked out with the Jews. During Passover, Romans would offer to release to the Jews a person uh, who maybe is uh, in jail, awaiting execution, or is a criminal of some kind, and uh, he's in prison. So Pilate thinks the crowd surely is not going to want 
the release of the worst possible, maybe insurrectionist, currently in jail, Barabbas. They're going to want Jesus released, he figures. After all, Jesus is innocent. And Barabbas is guilty as an insurrectionist, right? He's a, he's a known rebel. And when insurrectionists get engaged in stuff, what happens is it brings the wrath of Rome on the people of, of Jerusalem and, and Judea. So they don't have a whole lot of support for the, the, the insurrectionists. So in letting the people decide, here's Pilate is totally blown away when the people, stoked by the religious leaders, declare that they want Barabbas released and Jesus executed. Now we got to grasp something. During Pilate's encounter with Jesus, he has concluded as judge that Jesus is innocent. Three times he, he, he basically declares Jesus innocent. In John 18, 38, Pilate goes outside, tells the Jews after he speaks a little bit with Jesus, I find no guilt in him. John 19, 4, goes back out to the Jews. He says, see, I'm bringing it out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. And then John 19, 6, Pilate says to them, look, take him yourselves and crucify him. I find no guilt in him. He knows the Jews can't crucify anybody, holding the Romans can. So Pilate knows Jesus is innocent, but he's trying to escape the responsibility. So he thinks, well, I'll let the politician decide. That doesn't work. I'll let the people decide. That doesn't work either. Here's his third attempt at dealing passively with Christ. I'll let pity decide. I'll get Jesus beat up a good bit. And then I'll parade him around, all bloodied, mangled. They'll take one look at him and go, okay, no, okay, okay, enough is enough. They'll feel sorry for him, and they'll want me to release him. That's what verses 1 to 3 is all about, right? When Pilate took Jesus and flogged him, put a crown of thorns on him, arrayed him in a purple robe. Gosh, he's bleeding all over the place. Hail, king of the Jews, strike him with their hands, right? You're probably wondering, like me, well, if Pilate knows that Jesus is innocent, why would he choose to flog him? He's trying to manipulate others to agree with him that Jesus should be set free. So get him bloody enough, get him battered enough, get him bruised enough that the crowd will finally demand that Pilate just let him go. Okay, you've done enough to him, good, let him go. Now, a word about flogging or scourging. Scourging was a uh, brutal punishment. The Romans uh, enacted on their criminal justice system and the criminals. A scourge was made up of a wooden handle and a... it, attached to it were long leather thongs, right? And embedded into the thongs were pieces of lead, glass, maybe even bone, designed to grip the skin and rip it, shred it. Now, there were three levels of scourging. The first one was for kind of less criminal cases, maybe just kind of hoodlums or thugs or something. Uh, the Romans would take him, beat him a little bit, give him a verbal reprimand, and they let him go to heal. I mean, they still got bloody, but it wasn't as bad as level number two. That was a brutal beating uh, because it was for people more, uh, did something more heinous than just being a, a little out of a hood or something. Level number three was known as the death before the death. It was for prisoners facing the death penalty. There were two soldiers with scourges who would administer diagonal blows on the back of the prisoner and the, until the soldiers were either exhausted or the commanding officer said, that's enough. The stoppage was to be timed just before the prisoner actually died. 
In other words, keep them alive so that they can be crucified. They're going to die anyway, so let's give it to them in increments. Historians tell us that a lot of the people who went through that particular scourging didn't even survive the flogging because it was designed to shred the skin, lacerate the muscles, maybe even eviscerate the subcutaneous tissues of the victim. It's believed that Jesus faced that second kind of flogging at first. And then once the gavel went down and Pilate said, okay, take him to the cross, he has received the third time, third type then. So he got two different vloggings, the last one being the most brutal. So in any case, after the second, after the second type of vlogging, Jesus is pretty much mangled by now, pretty beat up. Besides, they mock him, they put a crown of thorns on him, they slap him around, beat him up a little bit. Finally, in verse 5, he's paraded out on the balcony in front of the people, and you notice Jesus comes out wearing the crown of thorns and this purple robe they fitted him with, And Pilate said to them, as if to incur their pity, behold the man. As if to say, man, you should take pity on this poor creature. Look at this bruised and bloodied specimen. Haven't you had enough? This is the one you say is a big threat. And he's a threat to overturn the nation. Look at him now. He obviously poses no threat. He's hoping they're going to say, well, right you are, Pilate. Let him go. But like sharks who've gotten a smell of blood in the water, they're circling. They want nothing more and nothing less than the death of Jesus Christ. Now, as we're reading this, there's a prophecy that's brought to mind, a prediction made by the prophet Isaiah back in chapter 52, which predicted this very scene hundreds of years ago before Jesus even experienced it. Isaiah 52, 14. It's on the screen for you. And many were astonished. Or another way of what the word really means is appalled. Many were appalled at you. His appearance was so marred or disfigured beyond human semblance and is formed beyond that of the children of mankind. In other words, you would have a difficult time recognizing what was left of Jesus as a human being. I'm sure that when people saw Jesus, at least a portion of the crowd gasped like, oh my, Maybe some of them averted their eyes. This is Pilate, not wanting to make a chance, a choice, acting, dealing passively with Jesus, trying to get the politician to decide, the people to decide, maybe now pity to decide. Here's Pilate, who believes in the innocence of Jesus Christ and has pronounced him not guilty three different times. He just doesn't have the integrity of his conviction. He really didn't want to sentence Jesus to death, but he's not willing to believe in him either. Jesus has talked about truth in another kingdom from heaven, and Pilate doesn't seem to be interested in that. But a lot of people who try to handle Jesus passively, like Pontius Pilate, they'll say, well, I'm not really anti-Jesus. I'm not against Jesus. I'm just not that pro-Jesus either. I'm sorry he got beat up, and this is a horrible travesty of justice for sure, but at the same time, I don't really want to have to deal with Jesus. I'm going to be kind of neutral concerning Jesus. And they try to live their lives without making a stand one way or the other. They consider themselves neutral. The Switzerland of humanity, right? If there was a vote, they'd refuse to vote. They'd probably abstain. They're willing to let somebody else decide. Now, Jesus himself would have said, well, Pilate, you really can't do that. You're either for me or you're against me. Think about that. You don't have to be officially opposed to Jesus 
to be against him. If you're not for me, you're against me. If you don't help me gather, you are helping scatter. So none of Pilate's passive attempts worked. So let's look at the next way that Pilate tried to deal and handle Jesus, and that is fearfully. Verses 7 to 12. The Jews answered him, Buddy, we got a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he has made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid, which means he was afraid up to this point, but now he's more afraid, he's terrified. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Now, upon hearing that, Jesus does have something to say. Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all, unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Finally, we get to hear the motivation in verse 7 of the Jewish religious leaders and the crowd that's bringing Jesus before Pilate. See, up to now, they've sort of beat around the bush. They said, well, this, this guy's a real bad guy. He's an insurrectionist. He's a tax evader. And now he's trying to cause an uprising. But now they finally admit the real charges, the real beef that they have against Jesus. He claims to be God. He claims to be deity. He's the son of God. That's the real beef they have. That's the real reason they want this crucifixion. Finish this off once and for all. Now, when Pilate hears this, we're told that he is terrified. So let me ask you this, because I asked myself this when I was looking at this passage. Why in the world does that frighten Pilate? Let me help you understand the worldview of Pontius Pilate, which is really the worldview of the Romans. The Romans, including Pilate, were pretty spectacularly superstitious people. That is, they believed not only in the world of humanity, but they believed in the realm of the gods. And they believed that from time to time, the gods could empower human beings with supernatural abilities. In some cases, the gods could actually leave the realm of the gods and come to the earth like Hercules, the Greek legend that was passed down to the Romans. They believed that could happen. So Pilate hears that Jesus is claiming to be the Son of God, and he gets terrified. Why? Because Pilate just had him flogged. And if this guy has supernatural power and is indeed a son of one of the gods, I just might be dead meat standing here. <laughs> I'm in trouble. So he's terrified. Now, probably right about now, I'm guessing he's recalling what his wife has told him earlier in the day have nothing to do with this righteous or innocent man. I've suffered many things in a dream because of him. That probably comes to his mind as he's going, uh-oh, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. So he goes again to Jesus. He asks him this question. Where are you from? He ain't asking his address. He knows he's Galilean. By asking where are you from, he's wanting to know, do you come from the realm of the gods? I just heard the Jews outside claim that you claim to be the Son of God. Is this true? So the claim of Jesus and the calm of Jesus unnerved him. Jesus says nothing to him. Now Pilate's getting really unhinged. 
You're not going to answer me? Don't you know that I have the power over you? So here's a question. Why didn't Jesus talk to him? Why didn't he answer him? Why did Jesus remain silent? Well, let me give you three possible explanations. One, to fulfill prophecy in Isaiah, which stated this, referring to the Messiah. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Number two, and perhaps maybe the real reason, is that Jesus had already spoken to Pilate, right? Jesus already told Pontius Pilate, I'm a king, I come from above, I came from another realm to witness, uh, be a witness of the truth. And Pilate walked out on him saying, eh, what is truth? So Pilate's already heard the testimony of Jesus. So Jesus has nothing more to say to him. Jesus knows Pilate isn't particularly interested. But there's an application here for you and me. I've discovered that when God reveals something to a person, could be in a sermon, could be in your own Bible study, could be in your small group, or whatever, reading your own scriptures, whatever. But if you hear God speak to you, right? If God reveals something to you and you don't react to that, you don't take that on board, you don't uh, act like that's the truth, then here's what I've discovered. God doesn't have a whole lot of interest in saying anything more to you beyond that point because you've already proven that you don't really want truth. So he's not going to lay any more on you. So God leaves you alone until you mess up your life enough or come to accept his word as truth to you. And when you do respond, God absolutely loves it. And he continues to involve himself in your life with more truth. And the relationship deepens. But Pilate hasn't responded. So Jesus has nothing more to say. So silence. Another angle could be that Jesus is silent just to sort of let everything kind of settle in. Uh, for Pilate. In this silent moment, Pilate, in your terror right now, are you willing to ponder what you've seen, what you've heard, weigh it all out? Because you've got to make a decision. I read about a Christian group that went to a village in rural, a rural province in India, and they showed the, the Jesus film to like 1,200 people. At the end of the, the, the film, 36 people came forward and received Christ, all of them from a non-Christian background. The next day, one of the film crew was walking around, and he was taking a morning walk, and he overheard a couple of boys, young boys, talking. And one boy said to the other boy, I think we should believe in this uh, Christian God. It sounds like he's a good God. And the second boy said, why should we believe in this Christian God? And the first boy said, well, because our gods are short-tempered. But Jesus is very patient. He's a very patient God, as we saw in the film yesterday. So it could be that Jesus is simply lingering to give Pilate the ability, the thinking space, to make a decision. Pilate's afraid. He's been handling Jesus passively, but now fearfully, and he's unnerved. I find a lot of people deal with Jesus fearfully. They're afraid. They're afraid of the future. And if they're not Christians, if they don't trust in Christ for their salvation, maybe they ought to be fearful of the future. they got a right to be morbidly afraid, right? But that's where they stop. They're afraid. So they want to mitigate against the fear. They think, well, I'll just say this cute little prayer, and then that'll keep me safe. They deal in fear, not in faith. They don't place their faith in Jesus, so they're just afraid of consequences downstream. It's a fear of repercussion, 
not faith in Christ's forgiveness. So handling Jesus through fear didn't work either. All right? So Pilate's only left with one other recourse. He tries to handle him. He handled him selfishly. Let's look at the third way Pilate handled Jesus. Passivity didn't work. Fear didn't work. How about selfishness? We see this in verses 12 to 16. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everybody who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Mark that well. We'll come back to it. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! We have no king but Caesar. Now if you think about it, what kind of hypocrites are these Jews? They absolutely hated Caesar with a passion. They wanted nothing to do with him at all. They sound like they really are in favor of Caesar at this point. So he delivers him over to be crucified. So what did Pilate, who wanted to release him, who declared him innocent several times, what is it that he heard that drove him to be okay with Jesus' death? It's when they said, if you let this guy go, you are not a friend of Caesar's. And here's why. Tiberius Caesar, who was at this point in his reign, was a paranoid recluse living on the island of Capri, suspicious of everyone. If he had any hint of unfaithfulness by any of his underlings or incompetence, there could be brutal, fatal maybe, consequences. Pilate knew that. Pilate had been governor for five years, and he's already made several blunders in his leadership so far. Let me explain so it makes sense. When Pontius Pilate got the job, he brought banners in Jerusalem, into Jerusalem with the emblem of Caesar on them. If you know anything about Judaism, you know they hate images of any kind, and they protested against Pontius Pilate, declaring, remove these from Jerusalem. We don't want these in our town. Pilate said to his soldiers, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take out our swords. We're going to threaten them. He figured that would get them to back down. Instead, what the Jews, Jewish leaders did, they all came in and they laid down and bared their necks and said, go ahead, kill us. We ain't backing down. So Pilate, unnerved, backed off and removed the images. A few years later, when Pilate raided the, did this, he raided the treasury in the temple of Jerusalem to build an aqueduct to Jerusalem to carry water for himself and his soldiers. Again, the Jews rose up against Pilate. At that time, Pilate ordered his soldiers to dress up like civilians, carrying clubs and daggers, and upon his signal to attack and disperse the rioters. They beat many, killed quite a few. Then later, Pilate ordered again shields to be made with the inscription and profile of Tiberius Caesar for his soldiers at the Antonia Fortress, where he is, as he, he is a, it was kind of where his fortress was in, in Jerusalem. He typically was in Caesarea, but Caesarea, but here he's here. The Jews this time, what they do? They appealed directly to Caesar. Caesar himself directly ordered Pontius Pilate to remove the shields, and he threatened Pontius Pilate. He's now operating on a short leash. So when he hears 
you let this man go and you are not a friend of Caesar, that was a threat. They were prepared to rat him out to Caesar again. And if we do that, you're going to probably be out of here. Pilate now feels a wind is blowing against him. I've got Jesus, whom I've declared innocent three times, and I've got me, my job, potentially my life at risk. If you're selfish, choice is pretty easy. Selfishness demands Pilate send an innocent man to death. James chapter 4 tells us that whoever would be a friend of this world will become an enemy of God. That's the choice Pilate had. Do I go with the crowd? Do I go with the crowd to stay a friend of Caesar? Or do I do what I know is right and have declared such three times? I should let Jesus go free. Should I do that? He opts for the selfish route. Luke 23 tells us that the voices of these men and of the chief priest prevailed. Can we just let that settle in on us for a moment? The voices of these men and the chief priest prevailed. Pilate effectively turned off all the other voices. Turned off the voice of Jesus speaking to him about another kingdom and truth. Turned off the voice of his wife, have nothing to do with this righteous man. Turned off the voice of his own conscience that spoke to him. I find no guilt in him. No wonder. History records him as a most tragic and pathetic figure. But Pilate turns out it's not alone. In answering the question, what will I do with Jesus, who's called the Christ, most people do what Pilate did. Most of the world chooses to go the way most of the world is going, clamoring for. And where is most of the world and the vast majority of people going? What path are they on? That question will define everybody for an eternity. It's not just Pilate's decision, it's ours. Jesus actually answered the question as to where the crowd is headed. You've got to enter through the narrow gate if you want to get to kingdom. Because wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many or most go that way. Maybe you look at the world and witness people not choosing Jesus and you think, well, that many people can't be wrong, can they? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, all the time. Let me choose by giving you a fourth option. Don't deal with Jesus passively. Don't deal with him fearfully. Don't deal with him selfishly. Handle him humbly, sincerely, personally, repentantly. Handle him by making him the God that you worship and the one that you submit to. Because look, eternity is going to be a long time to regret the wrong call. Jesus wants more for you and I than that. Let me pray. We'll get you out of here. We'll get you back out into the cold. Lord, thank you for this time we've spent with Pilate. Man, it's a difficult thing to watch. And yet we see people make these kind of crazy decisions, unwise decisions in every area of life as we stumble through this earth. But you are truth. You are life. And you give us life that fulfills. So we ask that if there's anyone here that doesn't know you yet, that they might decide, hmm, let me not be a pilot today. Let me be a disciple. Let me go a different direction. Let me choose to be bold. Go somewhere, not because I'm afraid, not because I'm passive, but because I've decided this guy really is the son of God. He really did come 
to die on a cross to save me and everybody else for their sins. All I got to do is believe. So thank you, Lord, for this time as we do communion. It's the blood in your body that we're celebrating. It's a horrible situation. But you did it willingly. You did it knowingly. You, did, you, you set this all up even before you created the universe. You were gonna, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to create these people. We know they're going to go south. So what are we going to do to rescue them? Okay, we're going to come myself. I'm going to come down here, become a human, go through everything humans go through, all the nastiness, and get beat to a smidgen, to pulp, and die on a cross for these people because I love them. That love is uh, beyond our comprehension. So thank you for it. As we take communion, we pray that you would enter us in a way that we never maybe have experienced recently. Talk to us. Help us to respond to your words. And it's all in Christ's name. Amen.